Hey guys, what's up? It's Pastor Brenton back with another episode of Planet Podcast. I'm so excited to have uh, our next guest on this week, Pastor Matt Keller from Next Level Church. But before I introduce him, I want to tell you guys about a little project that I've been working on called Parlor City Graphics. Um, Parlor City Graphics is a print and graphics company that can help you take uh, your church and your church plant to the next level on a budget. So honestly, I made this because I know how hard it can be to uh, to plant churches and um, I am able to get you guys literally like just straight awesome fire deals that you can't get anywhere else. We are going to be uh, priced below literally everybody else and we can get you really good products that can make you look really good for really cheap. I'm here to help you guys out. We can do banners, we can do cards, flags, everything else that you could ever think of that you need for your church plant, we can make it happen. If you want to see what, what's going on, you can visit www.parlor.city. So that's www.parlor.city. All of the proceeds, all the money that comes in will go towards church planting. So you pay for your product and the rest of it's going to go towards um, helping us plant Bass Church and helping us plant more locations and other churches all over the capital region and uh, the Northeast. So every dollar that you put in, you're going to be helping out a planter and um, us planting more churches. So yeah, it's a win-win all the way. We're building the kingdom and we're using funds uh, across, across the way. So we're using church planters money to start more churches. How cool is that? So let me get to our next guest. So Matt Keller... Is, uh, he's a people builder at his core with uh, more than 20 years in the people business. He has an authority on what it takes to build great teams and to build great organizations. Matt Keller is a pastor, author, speaker, and leadership coach. His insight on organizational and personal leadership helps build businesses, nonprofits, and churches and take their organizations to the next level. So I'm so excited to have Matt on this week. Honestly, it's a dream come true. And um, it's just cool to be able to communicate with these high-level leaders and to have them speak into my life and uh, be able to bring stories like this into your world. So guys, buckle up. This one's going to be a really good one. And um, just excited to bring more content like this one to you in the future. So like and subscribe and share because it helps us, help us out a lot. Let's get planted. Thanks, guys. Raw stories from church planners, leaders, and entrepreneurs with your host, me, Brenton Johnson. Brenton Johnson. Do you have a dream in your heart and want to go all in? Hear stories from leaders just like you. It's our prayer that these stories will encourage and inspire you to make that dream in your heart come true. Get ready and get planted. Great. Um, hey, so welcome to the podcast. I'm just so excited to have you on today. And um, I think you're our first ARC lead team guy. Um, we, had a bunch right. of, we had a bunch of CMN guys on so far, um, but we have not had any of the ARC dudes yet. So um, really excited to, to hear your story and what God has done in and through you guys down there. So you just kick it off. I'm going to shut up and I just want to hear the long game story of what, what you got to share. Awesome. Well, uh, I appreciate the opportunity, man, to just pour into you and pour into other planters and just be an encouragement. So uh, my wife, Sarah, and I were both born and raised in the Midwest in a small town called Auburn, Indiana, uh, just north of Fort Wayne, Indiana. And um, just we were high school sweethearts. Uh, her dad was a pastor. And um, and so I, I got saved in his church when I was 15 years old. Went to She invited me to an Easter musical and uh, saw Jesus die on the cross, um, fog machine, you know, rose from the dead, the whole deal. Um, and, and, uh, and then her dad came out and the pastor came out at the end of that and said, you know, this isn't just a good story. It really happened. 
and I was raised a good denominational boy. And so kind of always knew God was dead because the church I was a part of was dead. Um, and so when he came out and said, you know, if you want to accept Jesus as your savior, you know, I, and man, I can, I've raised my hand and I'm telling you, I can remember right where I was, um, second row, second seat in. Uh, and I was, you know, it just, it just, God just came alive to me so much so that I came back the second night because I wanted to be sure. And it was like, all right, I got to raise my hand again. Like I'm in, man, I'm in. And so honestly, that started off a journey uh, of faith for me where, where the Lord just came alive in my heart. Um, that summer I went to youth camp and uh, turned 16, went to youth camp in July and um, felt the call to ministry at 16. I always knew I wanted to, you know, wanted to help people. And so I thought I'd either like to, you know, be an architect because I like to build stuff or be a psychiatrist because I like to help people. Well, who knew that God would put a, a boy like that into the ministry? And so um, felt called to ministry when I was 16, Sarah, the same week at camp, uh, felt called to ministry as well. So honestly, man, we felt, kind of just felt like God put us together at a young age and kind of got the guy girl thing out of the way. And it was like, all right, well, let's just give our lives. So we started a Bible club in our high school. Like it was like, we were just into it, man. We just revival our youth group. Yeah. We had to take summer school classes with our choir that we were in back then. And at every, you know, every day at noon, we'd get done, we'd go get something to eat. Everybody come over 20 or 30 kids would come over to our house and we'd host Bible studies, you know, and swimming parties and maybe praying for our friends and they're getting saved. So it was just kind of a move of God that we didn't even realize was like, Oh, this isn't normal. Like, Everyone doesn't leave youth camp and, you know, like lose their faith when they go home. We thought you were supposed to just stay on fire for God the whole time. And it was, oh, okay, well, that just kind of makes sense. So anyway, a long story long. Uh, so, so just feeling that call to ministry. So um, interestingly enough, and this is the part of the, this is the unbelievable part of the Next Level Church in, in Florida story. Um, and that is uh, when I was 17, a junior in high school, she was 15, a sophomore. My parents took us on a spring break vacation to Fort Myers, Florida. And, um, and they said I could bring a friend. And I said, well, can I bring my girlfriend? And so we talked to her parents and the whole deal, you know, and, and everybody said yes. And so literally, man, uh, and this is the unbelievable part. When the plane landed in Fort Myers, I was 17, junior high school. I looked at my girlfriend and I said, we should start a church here someday. And I think her comment to me was, um, you know, do you think the hotel has a swimming pool? Like, do you think it's nice? Like, it, we, like we, we didn't know. Like, it didn't even register. Yeah. And yet, the truth is, man, um, God planted a seed mm -hmm. in our heart um, for a city. So it wasn't until nine years later, when I was 26, she was 24, uh, which is still too young to know how young we were. Um, but when I was 26 and 24, God resurrected that vision and said we were doing ministry youth pastor for four years uh, in indiana and i was traveling as the national youth director for a small fellowship uh in indiana and so just kind of making a life we had one son who was 20 months old at the time and um god just resurrected that vision at a conversation we were having and it was like okay we got to move to florida and so when we went in and told our leaders um they basically as i like to say um gave us the left foot of fellowship the apostle paul said we extended the right hand of fellowship but we kind of got the left foot a fellowship. And they just kind of said, um, y'all go ahead. Don't call us. We'll call you. And uh, we're still waiting for their call 16 years later. But so we moved. So we, we had some friends because we've been traveling. So we had some pastor friends that let us come in that fall. Um, like literally they kind of like, like escorted me out to the car with a box. Like you're done. You, if you're not for us, you know, you're, you're, you're whatever. So, um, so, so we were, we, that fall, we raised a little bit of support. So when we moved to Fort Myers, Florida, man, uh, in January of 2002, four months after September 11, just to kind of time, time stamp, you know, 
global history. Um, we had $9,200 to our name. That was it. And, uh, and as any of you church planners out there who are listening today know, um, that is not a lot of money to start a church with. And so we had no clue what we were doing. Um, but God was faithful to us. There were two college guys from Indiana who kind of caught the vision of doing ministry in a spring break town. And we're like, I think we're in too. And so they kind of threw their stuff on the back of our rider truck. And uh, in January of 2002, we moved to Fort Myers, Florida to start what is now known as Next Level Church. So that's kind of how we got there. I don't know if you want to jump in there or not, but I can keep going. But that's that's how it, it's, it is. We are, we are the unlikely church plan story. So walking through that process, um, I know there's a lot more, um, or maybe not. Maybe it was just all fun and fun and dandy. You know, I don't know. So what 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 was that? What was that season for you? Like, you know, you're walking through. There's nights where you're sitting in bed, saying, "God, where are you? What's going yeah. on? Am I making the right decision?" So can you walk us through some of those times that you you just felt like, "Oh man, I Lord, I need you." Yeah. Well, a great question. I mean, honestly, man. It was, yeah, that was, that was a regular occurrence for us Uh, all the way to going in and announcing to our leaders or telling our leaders, you know, the kind of the whole, if you're not for us, you're against us kind of deal. Um, And then walking us out, you know, from that moment on, it was like, wow, okay. I actually think we're, uh, I actually think we're going to be in like, this is, this is going to hurt. How did you, how did you deal with that, that tension and that pain in that process? Um. Well, it was. It, you it was don't, I don't even know. <laughs> yeah, right. You know? Oh, I probably should deal with that. Yeah. Um, honestly, let me let me say it this way. Um, Sarah and I, when we moved to Florida, we felt so alone. We felt so clueless, so confused. Um, and yet, God had put this big vision in our heart. And so, honestly, we had each other, and we had the Lord. Like it really did drive us to 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 the Lord to just say, God you are with us. Like you, you, if, if you don't show up, we're done for. Um, and it was in those early months, man, that, that I actually tell the story. I was working for 11 bucks an hour at a jewelry store. Cause that was the only thing I was qualified for with ministry experience. Turns out being honest matters in the jewelry business. And so, um, a, a guy who was a friend, a family friend gave us a job at a jewelry store. And, um, and I remember sitting on the, the side of our bed one night in our little two-bedroom apartment, 800-square-foot apartment in the wrong side, you know, the, the rough part of town, and, um, and just crying. And I looked at my wife and I said, if God lets us live through this, and man, it was, it, we weren't, we, there was no, <laughs> there wasn't a lot of hope that that was actually going to be the case. Mm-hmm. Um, I told her, I said, we're going to spend the rest of our life making sure that nobody has to feel the way we feel right now. And honestly, man, that's God let us live through it. And that's why, that's why we do what we do. That's why we have our next level church or next level coaching network. We have 110 pastors, um, uh, from across the country who are in small groups, seven, you know, brotherhood groups is what we call them. Um, we coach them every single month. We're together. It's kind of, we just are building this tribe of, of pastors and leaders. And the reason why it through next level coaching, the reason why is because of that moment on the side of the bed where we said, you know what? It's what if it's not about us? And what if God could leverage and redeem all of this pain? What if he could leverage and redeem all of this hurt, all of this loneliness that we feel right now? I've always felt like David was someone I can relate to in the Bible. And maybe some of you out there listening today, that's you. That's how you feel. You feel like, man, I'm alone. I feel like God's given me a big vision for my city, a big vision, but it's not an easy vision. It's a hard vision. And maybe you feel like the leaders that have been around you have, have been less than supportive. Guess what? 
You're listening to somebody right now who 16 years on the other side of it can relate to your story. And can I just tell you, you're not alone. That's why we do what we do. That's why you have friends. That's why you're listening to this. That's why you're connected to the tribe you're connected to. Because those are people in your life who love you and, and, and are for you and believe in you. And so listen, I want you to know no pastor should be alone. No pastor should feel alone. And more than all of that, God's got you. Yeah. And I'm telling you, God was our strength. God was our source. And when we had $9,200 to our name, we knew we have God. And now here we are three locations later at Fort Myers Dream Center, 3,000 people in weekly attendance, a staff of 50, um, eight services every single weekend, and a tribe of 110 churches that represent 40,000 people. That's the end of the story so far. Bro, we have 40,000 people at our Next Level Church Network. I'm telling you, that's what's possible if you don't give up lean into God. And so I just want to encourage people today with that. Yeah, that's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. So, um, yeah, that's like right where we're at in the season that we're walking through right now is just like, dude, I, I'm not from New York. So coming in and seeing it from the outside of what's actually going on in the leadership and the church and everything, it, dude, it's mind blowing and something has to change and somebody has to do it. And so like we, we planted, I planted with uh, Will Hampton six years ago and we shook a lot of things up and in five years now, this coming September, they're going to be planting four locations out of that church. Um, into old AG buildings that were given to them of churches that have been dead. So what we're seeing is we're seeing revival, we're seeing a change, but it just takes the ones to step out in faith and say, okay, we're going to be the ones. And also, I mean, Holy Spirit marks the ones he's going to call to go do the work. And I mean, if you wanted to run from it, you could, but I, you probably would have been miserable. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely miserable. Well, and let me say this, man, I, I love what you're doing. And that's, I, I think guys like God is raising up an army of guys like you who, and so many others who are uh, like Josh Gagnon that you mentioned from next level church in New Hampshire, like in those guys uh, up in the, the Northeast. I mean, that's, that's, it is, it, God is redeeming. There's no right, one right way or one wrong model or whatever. Like it's yeah. all, yeah. God's just in it. Yeah. And I love that you're talking about a guy who's been given four buildings. Like, come on, man. Those, those are pieces of yeah. property that have been once upon a time were redeemed for kingdom causes. Yeah. Well, God bless you guys for keeping yeah. those in the kingdom and make it, making sure they don't become car dealerships or libraries. Like way to go, man. Yeah. That's, we need more guys like you. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So, uh, so keep, keep walking through your story. So when you started that church, how did you start? What are some of the things that you learned in those early phases of like right before launch and then after launch? (laughs) Well, I mean, I'll be the first to admit that we did this pre arc. Um, we did not launch with the arc. I joined the arc nine months in and the arc was just getting started. Um, so I think uh, it has been credited to me. I don't know if it was ever officially me or not, but someone said you can do it the arc way or you can do it the hard way. It's been credited to Matt Keller. I think that's urban legend, but that was our story. And the reason why it's been credited to me is because that's our story. Because I think the Ark is planting churches, you know, arguably better than anybody else, more effectively than anybody else, um, any other organization. And so I love the training that we do as the Ark and all that. But anyway, um, so I was pre-Ark. So man, we had four of us, as I mentioned, we just started in a little coffee shop because we heard you needed a launch team. And we're like, well, where do you get one of those? And so um, we started on Mother's Day, May the 12th, 2002 at the Bell Tower Movie Theater. And so we were one of the first churches in America to do um, two services, actually. We didn't launch two, but um, in, a, in a functioning open, you know, for business, Regal, Regal Cinema. Yeah. So um, we had 35 people on our first Sunday. 
And man, I'm telling you, it could have been 3,000. Like we were so fired up, so excited and just were like, yeah. So we went to Arby's and bought five sandwiches for five bucks because that's how you celebrate when you're a church planner with no money. And so um, the next Sunday we had 19 and it was that feeling of, oh man, I wish someone would have told me that only half the people come back. Like even when you're small, that's still the right statistic. And so that's everybody. That's kids, everybody. That's me. So literally, man, the second Sunday of our church, I stood up and it was me and 12 people in an 86 seat theater. And because there were kids out and a couple kids workers and like literally, man, I had that feeling. I stood up and I went, what am I doing? Like I'm wasting my life. Like I have moved my family 1300 miles away from the only home I've ever known in Indiana. I walked away from a national youth director job to teach a church that's smaller than most Sunday school classes I used to teach in just a few months ago. Mm-hmm. But man, God was faithful. And we here's what we did, man. What are some of the lessons we learned? You love the ones you got. See the people in the seats, not the empty seats. Mm-hmm. And, um, and every single week, man, I would come to the theater and I would, once we were a few months old, I would get things started set up wise. And then I would get in my little Buick, 1990 Buick Century that my grandfather left me when he died. And I would drive around the end of the mall by the movie theater and I would sit right next to Bed Bath & Beyond and I would stare at Burger King and I would put my preaching notes on the, on the steering wheel and I would talk through, you know, and kind of practice preach my message in the car. And I remember so many times sitting there going, God, this is such a great message. I can't believe there's not going to be more people to hear it. And our church was probably 100, 120 at the time. And I remember one morning the Lord just said, hey, Matt, stop preaching to the empty seats and start preaching to the full ones. It's good. And I think so many church planners were so busy, and especially our social media world. Thank God social media wasn't a thing 16 years ago when I started. I'd have quit, man. Because <laughs> guys baptize more people in one Sunday than are in my town I grew up in. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. So, um, like, like, I would just say, I mean, so many of those, you know, it's so easy to compare. Comparison kills Psalm 73. David's like, I almost lost my way. And the whole reason why is because he compared himself. Yeah. So, um, you know, for us, I, I, we just had to keep our head down and honestly, just love the ones you got, not the ones you wish you had. Yeah. And so I just, you know, just every Sunday night we'd get together as a leadership team and we would talk through our roster, literally every person who had ever filled out a card. And we just say, were they there? Did you see them? Did you not? Well then call those people and just say, Hey, we miss you at church. Like, Man, just some of that, just like gorilla, just go get them. Just like, don't give up. You know why? Because we're called to this. So we didn't have any money. We didn't have the ability to do anything fancy or mailers or any of that. We just had to go get it in Jesus' name and just love people and make sure that this week you love one more person than you did last week, plus all the other people you're called to love. And just just start loving your city like that, loving the ones you got, not the ones you wish you had. Those are a few of the lessons, man, we learned in the early days. Yeah, so now, now, how many years are you guys in now? I'm not, I'm not a math. My wife's a math teacher, so that's why I just leave it to her. So what Six, it, it, we celebrate 16 years this coming uh, Saturday, May the 12th, the 16 year anniversary. Cool. So now, looking back at yourself, um, yeah. I know even now I have moments of like embarrassment. I see my pride. Sometimes I go, "Oh crap, man, I'm pretty prideful," and then I get like this feeling of overwhelming embarrassment, like who do you think you are? And then it's like, Oh crap, maybe I'm not as cool as I think I am. Or like, uh, I, I always tell myself that too, Brenton, you're not as cool as you think you are. Stop yeah, it. Right. Like, but, um, just like moments like that, where you've really just like God smacked you or let's for better terms, pruning, but God, yeah. has pruned you. what are some of the areas that God's pruned you in 
Well, I mean, I have to, I've had to wrestle down my pride uh, as well. Um, There were, there were several years in there. We were nine years in, we were nine years portable. So the church grew to about 300 over four years at the movie theater. Then we moved to a high school, brand new high school. We literally moved in before the students did. So, um, so we were kind of there from the beginning, a huge 900 seat auditorium, $40 million facility. Just awesome. Just awesome. So over the next five years then, so nine years total, we grew to just under a thousand people. And then it was seven years ago, Easter, that we moved into our first permanent location, which is where I am today, our Fort Myers location is what we call it. And um, in nine months, the church doubled. We went from about a thousand people to 2000 people. And the only people who like that kind of growth are people who've never lived it. Um, Because we all want that. We all pray for that. But the truth is when you live it, it's awful. Um, it's like being strapped to a rocket ship going straight up and you don't have the leaders, you don't have the systems, you don't have the infrastructure to actually maintain and actually care for those people. Yeah. But it was in those years, I think for a few years that I let my pride get the best of me, man. Um, I, I, I believed our press. Um, we overexpanded, so to speak. Um, um, we did not have the systems and procedures to build depth, not just width. Um, and and there, the, the fallout of that was that there were people that were hurt by a lot of that, uh, by leadership decisions I made or didn't make. Um, and, and so, I, you know, yeah, I mean, so pride has definitely been, been something that God has had to smack me around. Um, and I would have told you all those years ago that I wasn't prideful. You know, I would have told you, no, man, I, I, I'm just humbled by God, what God's done. And so, you know, David, I think said, you know, God, you judge my motives because I can't even judge my own motives. Like, I don't even know. I don't even know anymore. And and I think, um, so, so those have been lessons. I mean, that's, that's been how, a hard How did you deal with it? How did you grow? Like in those moments, what, how did you make the change that you saw that you, it's such a weird thing to talk about because you don't even realize it until you realize it. And then it's like too late when you realize it and then you have mm-hmm. the course adjust. So what was that transition like in those seasons of, oh crap, now what? <laughs> like, well, uh, yeah, good question. I mean, I think honestly, you got to own it and you got to own it publicly. Um, it doesn't mean we grovel. Uh, it doesn't mean, you know, that you stand up in front of your entire church and just admit that, you know, you're the scum of the earth because people, that the false humility thing doesn't work. Um, well, especially among millennials, man, you should know this. Like, yeah. it's like you guys, your generation can spot it a million miles faster and really further away than we can. Yeah. Um, so, but own, I had to own it with my team. I had to repent to my team. I had to repent to my wife. I had to repent, um, to our staff. I, I just yesterday in our staff meeting, I sat on a stool and I looked at them and I said that, you know, I, I admitted uh, 50 staff in the room and I just said, and I didn't, there were several years that I didn't lead right. I didn't lead well. And people got hurt by that. And some of you in this room got hurt by that. And I'm, you know, and I'm, I, I'm sorry about that. Now, again, I'm not going to grovel. I'm not going to live there, nor am I yeah. going to let anyone dominate over me because of that. Yeah. Of course not. But it is right as a leader to own it. It's right to gain perspective. It's right to listen. It's right to, to repent to those you have hurt um, and own that. I think, I think that's the only path upward is to embrace, is to embrace that. I think that is how we learn when we fall. That's, that's awesome. That's awesome. So what are some of the other ways that uh, you, you grew through these seasons? And I could care less about church um, tricks and yeah. you to do to grow church, but just in your, your heart and in your life and even in your family. So what are some of the things that you grew in or, or were pruned in? 
Yeah, good question. Uh, some of it I would say, you know, to you and to other church planners is um, embrace embrace contentment. There's always a new, another mountain to climb. There's always another growth barrier to break. And we teach that stuff. Like you just like, again, I got all of the, I got all the principles and they all are alliterated. Like it's like, I can it's all up there. Yeah. I mean, I can do all of that and we do, and we helped her that we help 110 churches do that every single month. So yes, yes. And yes. But the bottom line is it's, it's, it starts in the leader's heart. And so, you know, for me embracing contentment, I remember there was a church planner and his wife that came down um, and visited us on a weekend. And on Saturday night, we were only doing Sunday services in the high school at the time. And on Saturday night, we took him to dinner. We walked across the, the parking lot to their hotel. And he looked at me and he goes, man, what's it going to take? Like, what, like what's it going to take to break through and get to the next level? And I looked at him and I go, you know what, man? I don't know. But here's what I do know. You know how many people are going to be in church tomorrow? 308. You know Why? Because for the last 12 weeks, there have been exactly 308 people in our church. 310, 312, 308, 306, 308, 304, 308, 310, 308. And I looked at him and I said, so you know what, man? I don't know. But here's what I do know. And I had, it with, I had about this tone with him, bro. I go, <laughs> here's what I do know. If I have to pastor 308 people for the rest of my life to make sure that guys like you go bigger and faster and are more effective, then guess what? I'll do it. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you something, man, it, something broke in me. Yeah. Guess how many people are in church the next morning? Yep. 354. And within four weeks, we had broke 400. And guess what? We never looked back from there. So leaders listening to me today, I'm just telling you, there's a better, yes, you got to have principles. Yes, you got to have all of that. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. Leaders, I'm just telling you, it starts in your heart. Yeah. And so quit counting numbers, quit worrying about what the guy down the street's doing or what the guy in the next city over is doing. Be on your journey and be content with where God has you. And bro, listen, the first book I ever wrote was called The Up to Middle Church. And to this day, that book continues to sell copies to church planners, even though I'd like to rewrite it. But um, I wrote the lion's share of that book in the four months that we were stuck at 308. So when I think about literally the thousands of pastors and church leaders who have been impacted over the last 10 years, because it came out December of 08, grew up the middle church, that one book that I wrote, I would have never had the time had our church been growing up and to the right, bigger next week than last week, I would have never written that book if I hadn't been stuck at 308. So looking back, I go, well, thank God we were stuck at 308 because there are hundreds of churches that are better now because I captured those principles in a season of stalled out. Yep. Well, thank God we were stalled out. So, man, get off the get off the rat wheel of the treadmill of um, next Sunday's got to be bigger than last Sunday. Not true. Not true, man. I, I, we teach our guys the next level coaching. We teach them. Listen, if you're believing that and you're teaching your staff that, you're setting yourself up for failure. That's great. So you're talking about in that season. I'm trying to put this together in my brain because I know God is so crazy how he works sometimes, but he's also speaking to us. And if it's our choice to listen in those seasons. So do you, did God tell you you were supposed to finish that book? Did you kind of have a sense of that? Like that was part of that look like in that season, do you think he was speaking that or um, 
that yeah i do uh, yeah go ahead like you like he kind of gave you the foresight to see what you were just talking about like that was the reason why because okay here's here's a little backstory on why i'm saying this so i'm i get coached by by jeff leak from uh allison park church and uh, yes yeah, sure. i love jeff reach, reach northeast and so he talks about he he was trying to figure out okay god we need more parking we need more parking we need more parking and he's like man we got to build a bigger building we got to do all this stuff and god said no i want you to take care of my problems first before i take care of your problems so like in a sense god's problem was i need you to write a book that's going to impact church planters for eternity but you wanted to hey we got to grow this church this is this is the church is for growth sake even like yep. there's more in it but for growth sake and in God's sovereignty, he's always speaking things of what we're supposed to do. And sometimes to unlock the things we want, we need to pay attention to what God is speaking in those seasons. But I really want to know, do you think you knew that when he was saying that? Or was he just testing you to see if you're faithful? Like walk up on the mountain, kill your son, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, um, I, I felt compelled in that season to write that book. I mean, I've always felt called to write since I was 18 years old. So, so writing was a calling for me. Um, it was not an ego thing for me. It was a calling thing for me. Yeah. Um, and so I felt compelled in that season to write that book and to get those principles down on paper. Mm -hmm. Um, and only now, you know, do I realize why, like that's, again, it's, it's always hindsight's always 2020. Um, so, but yeah, man, I think, I think that's exactly right. And so I think again, well, a couple of things you said, one, I think more of us are interested in our church growing because of ego than we are actually, because we actually care about true lost people being found. Mm. Um, and, and that's a real hard thing to discern because we're in the people business and everything we do is for God, right? Unless it's not. Um, <laughs> Sacrifice everything, our families, everything. And then when it doesn't grow after the first two years, right. And then it's and then when it's not, when it's stalled out at 85 people, suddenly we're going to shut the church down because, well, apparently it didn't work like I thought. Oh, okay. I thought this was a sacrifice everything thing. You know, like, and again, I'm not being unkind and my, my tone is more judgmental than I need it to be. I just mean like for real, but it's, let's be careful that it's not just our, what if God's called you to pastor 86 people for the rest of your life? Yeah. Well, I don't think he has. Yeah. Well, maybe he has for the next five years. Put your head down. Be faithful. Love your city. Love one more this week than you loved last week. Like, like again, stop looking at Furtick's numbers, man. You're not Furtick, nor is God going to let you be Furtick. You know why? Because we only have one Furtick, and I love Furtick. I love that dude, and that dude has revelation from on high. But let's be clear, that is a move of God, and we ain't Furtick. And not, you should be thinking, God, you're not Furtick. It's not even Furtick. Furtick no. is being Furtick. Yes. It's God. It's God. So <laughs> let's celebrate like crazy to Furtick. Why don't you send Furtick a gift card and thank him for taking bullets as being the first one down the mountain for all of us jokers behind him. Send that duff for a gift card. Tell him to take his wife out on a date because he probably needs it. Pay for his babysitting. Throw a little cash in there. Start praying for Furtick every day. And then go love your 86 people. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, that's so good. That's <laughs> No, it's, it's, it's good. I'm just, it's nice hearing this stuff because you go, we go to art conference all the time. We go to all these conferences and all the dudes are dressing exactly the same and everybody's trying to play the same playbook. And it's like all the graphics, they're not even sometimes even connecting with actual community and the outfits we're wearing sometimes actually aren't even connecting. It's just to please the church culture that we're in. And it's like, okay, well, how do we get so far away from where we're supposed to be? And it's like, you know what? I'm afraid I'm afraid to be successful because then I don't want to lo lose the the angst and lose the uh, 
lose all of the stuff that um, I have right now in this season. It's like, I'm almost like, okay, God, I'm so grateful for this season because I don't want to lose this heart that you're developing in me right now when it's hard. And so yeah. Yeah, I, I don't even know where I was going with that, but dude, like that's literally the process where I'm at right now. And more and more and more, God is just showing, Hey, I got your back. I got this thing. We're going to do this together. It's not about you. It's about me. And like, dude, it looks impossible in this area. Like, dude, I don't, I want to do a hundred locations in the next 10 years across the capital region in the Northeast. And even if we're sending out, if they can echo my voice, we'll make them a location. If they don't echo my voice, we'll send them out as a church planner. We'll equip them. We'll pray with them. We'll get them connected to networks and do that. But it's like, dude, I don't know how in the world I'm going to do it. I don't know how the heck it's going to plan out, but I know ever since I was five years old and I had a vision of God, so many, so many gifts and urges the nations, but this is what's going to happen. So it's okay, God. It's just me, honestly, getting out of the way. Yeah. It's just uh-huh. getting out of the way. And so in your life, how did you have to learn how to get out of the way mm. so that God could lead your church and not you? Well, I, I think it's, I think Jesus would call that dying to ourselves. Um, and I think, I think that is one of the main struggles of leadership in, in terms of church leadership uh, is, is actually is, is walking the fine line between actual having competence and confidence in the calling and in what the Lord has done in you and having something to offer and walking boldly and confidently in that. And yet every day waking up going, God, if you don't show up today, I'm done. Like I'm screwed. So it's, that's the tension of leadership is in one hand being confident in the calling and giftings of God that he's put on you and competence. And then on the other hand going, but Lord, if you don't show up, I'm nothing like that's like, that is, that is the tension of spiritual leadership in my mind. I don't know if you listen to Gary, uh, I think it's like Vanderchuk, but he's like a Russian. He's like literally, you know, he's literally like the guy for social media, everything. Like he's oh, yeah. in the whole world. But he, he swears always, a lot, but I, I like his ideas. Oh, dude, he, he's my favorite. He's so, he's so New York. It's, it's, that's, that's who we're dealing with out here. That's like, I want to preach like him because that's what's going to translate to our people. Absolutely. Punch him in the face. But he says, he says um, you have to match your ego with humility. And the ones that are successful, you have to you have to hold your breath the longest. You have to match your ego with humility. And I've noticed that more and more and more because, it, like, dude, I am praying like it, it. It depends on God, right? But working and learning and listening and doing all the things like I'm working my tail off. Like it depends yeah. on. But anyways, so yeah. how now? Where are you at in your process right now? Where's your church at? Yeah. What are some of the things that you're dealing with? When you went, when you were laying or wherever you were yesterday and you had a little bit of time with God and you were like, oh crap, Lord, what, what are you walking through, bro? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. Well, I mean, I think number one, there is no there yet. Um, and I think I, 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 I think I believe that, um, back in the day that sometime, some, at some point in the future, there would be a there that I would get to. Um, and I think it's just, I, I'm just not sure that's how the kingdom works. Cause as long as there are lost people, then there shouldn't be a there yet. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a fun cliche thing to tweet about, but to live that out is actually very difficult. So, um, I, at every time, at every turn, crusher, bro, come on, come on. You want to be there someday. It's gotta yeah. get easy someday. It, but it, but it doesn't, it, <laughs> it, it just doesn't. And that's so, so here's the deal at every turn. Um, at every transition, there are, there are stresses and pressures of that transition. And so, you know, the transition of people getting on the bus, people getting off the bus at every stop, 
you know, someone gets on, someone gets off. Um, so, that, you know, so there's kind of that personnel stress that never goes away. It just gets bigger. Um, there's always a top 10% of performers in your organization, whether they're volunteer or paid or otherwise, there's always a bottom 10% that you're having to deal with. And again, that, whether you have two staff uh, or whether you have, you know, 50 staff or whether you have 500 staff, um, there's always going to be a top 10% and a bottom 10% that you have them to deal with um, and keep motivated. Um, so there's kind of the staffing thing. There's, there's the DNA culture side of things that I think you're constantly dealing with. And again, it, the only thing uh, that big brings is more zeros at the end of every problem and every success. So we'd love to stand up and cheer about the added zeros of success. Uh, but what we often don't talk about are the added zeros of stress. Um, and, and the uh, pressure that it adds. And so if you've got one angry person in your church, in a church of a hundred, well, when you hit a thousand, you simply have 10 angry people in your church. When you hit 10,000, you simply have a hundred angry people in your church. Mm -hmm. So, um, so culture being the cultural defender, um, and protector and promoter of your, of your organization is so huge. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I would say, you know, we often in our coaching, we talk about, uh, culture being the cement of an organization. And when cement is wet in the early days or in the early days of a new phase, the cement of your culture is wet. And so you get to mold it and shape it and form it into exactly what you want it to be. But there's coming a time very, very soon where that cement is going to harden. Mm -hmm. And once it hardens, the culture hardens, it's not that it can't be changed. It's just that it, it requires a jackhammer and a lot of work and noise to change it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, for, for those of you who are in a season where you feel like the cement of your culture is wet right now, mm -hmm. man, you got to aggressively form it and shape it into exactly what you want it to be and feel like God wants it to be. Because yeah. soon and very soon, that cement is going to harden. And as soon as it does, then it will simply become known in your city that this is how they do things there. Yeah. This is what that church is. And even among your staff and your leaders of your church. Well, this is apparently this is how we do it. These are this is how we communicate with each other. This is how we treat each other here. Well, you've got to shape that cement and culture. So there's a personnel issue, there's cultural issues, you know, and then really just a mindset issue from phase to phase of church growth. Um, you know, you have to shift your thinking and really shift the way you think about your organization. And that starts with the leader at the top, but then it filters down to others to really say, you know, so, so there's that constant struggle of people not thinking about our organization big enough or not seeing it at the next level. So, you know, kind of culture, personnel, and, and thinking, I think, are three things that, that matter a lot in every phase of church growth. Yeah, that's awesome. So, uh, yeah, we're going to wrap it up here real soon. But anything that you want to talk? So right now I'm in the pre-launch phase, four months out. Um, what? It would be, what's the first thing that popped in your head when I said that, that I need to be doing? Um, invest in the savings accounts of men's hearts uh, and women. So invest in people, people, people. Um, people are your future. Grow your team. Help them to understand the why behind the what. Mm -hmm. um, that it, 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 There's a whole lot of what to do, but that's not as important as the why behind it. That this is, there's a lot of what and how. It's the why behind the what that shapes the culture long term. So you know, really invest in the savings accounts of, of the men of the hearts of men and women. Um, really explain the why behind the what. Take the extra ten seconds, the extra hundred and ten seconds to slow down and go. Here's what needs to be done. Here's how I want you to do it now. Before you go do it, here's the reason why. Here's what I'm thinking. Because if you'll teach people the why behind the what, then they'll start to think about how you make decisions. Yeah. Without you. And that's how you, that's how you multiply impact and influence. That's really, really good. Um, 
And so, so I mean, those are just a couple of big thoughts that really matter. I like how you gave the why behind the what of the why behind the what. That was that was really really good. <laughs> that was really good. Um, will you will you pray for us church planters? Um, and uh, just man, I I believe in a transference of uh, anointing and and um, it carries man. And I just I'm so thankful to have this privilege and honor to be able to just talk with you and connect with you and see what God is doing. And I'm believing yeah. for a lot of these same type of stories to happen all across the Northeast. Where, dude, it is. It is rough. Will you you pray for us, brother? I would love that. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for Brenton and um, his team. Thank you for other pastors and church planners, Uh, not just only across the Northeast, but God, across our great nation and the world, Lord, we never know where these conversations end up. And so, Father, I pray for every person listening right now. You see the leaders, the pastors who are listening, the church planters. And God, I do believe that you are raising up a new generation of leaders who will think differently about this enterprise that you're called, that you call the local church. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray, God, as you're raising up this new generation of leaders to think differently, to define success differently, I pray, God, that they would have the wisdom of Solomon. Lord, I pray that you would just impart crazy amounts of wisdom, Lord, that they would not just learn from their own experiences, but they would learn from the experiences of others. And Lord, I just pray provision over them. I pray that we in the generation before them and in the church world as a whole would get behind them and we would fund their crazy visions, their crazy ideas. And so Lord, I pray supernatural provision over each and every one of the leaders listening today that are giving their hearts to a city, giving their hearts to a neighborhood, giving their hearts to a, a department, a team, a ministry. God, I pray that life change would be the result of that. Lord, would you show up, continue to do the miraculous. And God, we promise we won't keep any of that glory for ourselves. We'll give it all to you. We'll pass it all on to you because you're the only one who's worthy of it. God, this is your idea. You're the Lord of the church. We are merely servants in it for a, a season and period of time. God, we humbly bow and we serve your vision today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Planted Podcast with Brenton Johnson. If you like what you heard today, hit subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. Leave us a review online and share this life-giving content with your friends and family. Take that dream in your heart and start acting on what's been planted in your heart today. See you next week.